Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I am Keith Foster, I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. Did you catch the way I just, like, changed the intonation a little bit, just so people know it's actually a human being and we're not just, like, playing back this recording every week? Yeah, I kind of chuckled. I was like, why do you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why the fuck not? Because hey, why not? I, there, there why is the a podcast not? I love, and I can tell that they're, um, the, when the person starts talking, that that exact 15 seconds is actually recorded and they just run it back every week. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. Where for me, it's yeah, kind of like, how lazy hey, are you? <laughs> just do the fucking intro. <laughs> we're organic. I know. I know. Exactly. Like, like it's the, just, the, I don't know. That seems like more trouble than it's worth. It's it like, does. well, hold on. Let me splice this 15 second of audio into this week's audio. Just yeah, maybe yeah. just say the same thing that takes you 10 seconds. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's one of those podcasts, too, where they kind of have three intros. You know, the first intro is kind of over music. And, and I guess, you know, much like the way I drop the music in to start our shit, they just drop the music in and the music comes prefab with like their standard welcome to this podcast. Oh, We're going to do these things today. And then right. and then it, and then it cuts to the real person. And then they're like, and now we're going to do this. And it's like, man, it's just it's reverse Lord of the Rings. It's just too many intros. You know? Right. Yeah. Very good. Well, done. But speaking. <laughs> but hey, speaking, speaking of the intros. Guess what we're talking about? We're talking about what you are drinking. So what are you drinking? Okay, so this is something I picked up from Trader Joe's. I have already had a can of this. It's fucking fantastic. I wish I would have grabbed more. I mean, it's still there. It is from Mother Earth Brewing Company. And they are very well known for Cali Creamin. Yes. Well, this one is Cali Creamin Vanilla Creamsicle. And holy shit. It is fantastic. I love this beer. Have I drank this one on the air? Or I think I just drank this. No, casually. I don't think okay. you've drank any Mother Earth on the air because I am also a big fan of Cali Creamin, and I would have called that out. Oh, yeah. So have have you ever had this one? Not that one. Cali Creamin I've had, but not that one. Dude, it is just a breath of fresh air. Like, I love it so much. It's just the Cali Creamin with a little twist. It has that popsicle twist, and uh, man, it's, it's fantastic. So I was initially... Going to do an IPA. So I was sitting in, in, in the home office, the comic room here, and I was all set up. I had my IPA out, and I was like, yeah, okay, all right, it's almost time to record. And it just kind of hit me like, no, I, I don't want that at all. Like, I was almost repulsed by the idea of it. And it, it might be because I got a haircut today, and the hair salon that I go to, um, it's where my niece works, and she actually, like, they serve beer. So you get mm. beer while you wait. You get beer while you're getting a haircut. Free well, of charge. Well, yes. hello. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I got a couple of beers, a couple of IPAs while I was there. And, um, yeah, man, so I'm getting up there in age. And as as you know, as we get older, our tolerance for a lot of booze it hits a little harder than it used to. So yeah. after I had those beers this afternoon, I was getting like a slight, slight headache. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the idea of having another IPA today just wasn't the thing wasn't the yes. thing i was doing so uh switch yeah. to this and i'm very excited about it okay a couple great things about that number one oh yeah it's not just that you went to like a place where they give you beer when they cut your hair i'm super impressed that they give you an ipa what ipa was it um it i think it was their house special so uh the place i go to it's like uh it's called paper doll salon in uh pb 
and it is owned by the tap room. The guy that owns the tap room, uh, tap room is a bar mm. restaurant right next door to it. And uh, yeah, so so the guy owns both, and so he supplies paper dolls with a certain amount of beers. So they had a sour, they had an IPA, they have a kombucha, and um, a hard seltzer. So uh, they got a nice little variety pack there for you to choose from. And I don't know, like I guess it was just because the highest ABV was the IPA, so I went with yeah. that. And um, yeah, man. So I decided to switch it up and, and do this Cali Creamin, which is actually a whopping 5.0. So not too high, but hey, I've already had a couple today, so I'm, I'm cool <laughs> with it being a, a low total for us yeah. today. Okay, for you. No, no, for you. Because I'm, I'm about, I'm not just going to see your shit and raise. I'm going to see your shit and raise. You know, you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to bet $3. Then I'm going to be like 10000 <laughs> That's basically <laughs> Like, I'm going all in, like all in. But one final thing, ladies and gentlemen, is that not proof that San Diego is, in fact, the greatest city in this wonderful country, the United States of America? I, I, I have long is. held that San Diego is the greatest city in this country. Um, it's it's weather blows away. Everybody talks about the weather in L.A., but no, 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 no. San Diego is so much better. It's just better. So anyway, it is. Um, San Diego just get another notch in the cap like you need them. So I'm seeing you and raising because my beer is 12 fucking percent. Holy shit. And I am drinking 16 ounces of it because I'm just I'm just feeling wow. that. St- Dude, I'm going to be a fucking idiot about 40 minutes in. So uh, a little bit of a thing, though, a little bit of a story. So I went to a party last Saturday night. I didn't drink beer. I drank smoky scotch. Uh-huh. It ain't no big thing. That's Lita Ford, sort of. Um, but yeah, I, I brought this scotch that I had got in Scotland. It was, I believe it was Aberlour, if I remember right. But Aberlour is a, is a peaty scotch. Okay. And so I, I sipped on that all night. And it was the kind of thing where like, there was no moment between 3 and 10 o'clock when we were there where I was anything more than a little buzzed. But by the end of the night, I'd had like four scotches, you know, so the great thing about scotch is if you make it through the night, then you're clean the next morning. You know, like the problem with beer is you feel like crap sometimes the next day. Hard liquor, man, as long as as long as you're fine and you don't get sick or anything like that at night, you're going to wake up and you're going to be, you know, funky fresh, you know, so I didn't feel that bad, but it was just like the next day and the day after I was like, I don't want scotch anymore for a while. You know, that was kind of like the end of my scotch binge. So it is kind of helpful that I'm clearing out my beer fridge and going through some of these stouts and shit that I've gotten from Tavor because once I go through these, I, I think I'm going to mimic the way I drank in Scotland, which is basically like a cleaner, low ABV beer because, again, Scotland didn't have any of these fucking 9 to 14% beers like we do in America um, and then maybe have a little finish of scotch. You know what I mean? But, yeah, this bad boy is called Dice Goblin Reserve. It is a stout, and it is so fucking sweet. I think it says it has buttercream in it. It's okay. got all kinds of shit, you know? So here, hold it. Let me do the... Um, yeah, let me read what the fuck is in this thing. Um, God damn it. It just said buttercream flavored and whipped cream flavored imperial stout. Oh, you know? interesting. And it says it pairs with boar ribs, meat pies, and natural 20s, which I really enjoy, by the way. D&D reference because it's Dice Goblin. <laughs> Yeah, it tastes like a Sunday, and and I'm going to be stupid in a while. I'm going to be stupider, most mo stupid. But while but while we wait for me to drink more and get most stupid, it's time for your first thing, man. What was your first thing you did this week? Oh my gosh, it was 
a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. They're smorgasbord. Like There's it. just so much stuff that I got done this week. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the week. Uh, just to finish off something I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I guess I'll start with that. And I finished the slipcase cover art for the second shift, and that will be on the next Kickstarter. It's going to help you guys out there, if you're collecting the books, to collect the single issues and the trades into nice one little slipcase that you can have on your bookshelf. So I finished the art to that, and the same day I did the flats and send that off to Joaquin. So um, I believe that was on Friday, and he said he would get it back to me at some point this week, and he wasn't sure when, though, because he has hard deadlines. So um, I told him it's not that big of a deal. He's got some time, so whenever he can get it to me, you know, the, the sooner the better, obviously, but uh, don't feel rushed and go ahead and do what you got to do. So uh, I'm excited to get that back from him and then send that over to the company and get these things in production and just have them in hand. So when I do the Kickstarter, um, I'll have photos I can take of them just so people can see the product and go, yeah, mm -hmm. oh, this is this is what you're getting, you know, when you back this tier and then there'll be a, a add on option as well, um, because if you are a collector of the second shift of my books, you you might need two of them. Like um, I have one guy specifically who gets every single thing I make. So if I have four covers, he gets all four covers. Mm -hmm. um, like you make an I, omelet, he gets an omelet. He gets an omelet. He loves exactly. the omelet. So yeah. um, over easy gets him over easy. So <laughs> yeah, he collects all the books that I put out. He grabs all the bookmarks, everything. So he's hardcore about it, which I love. So he might actually have to order um, two of these things. And I think the dimensions that I have on it, it's essentially the size of a comic book with a bag and board um, and about two inches. So, you know, it might be an inch and a half to two, which I, I believe I got the measurements for two because the price difference between one and a half to two was, uh, you know, marginal. So I was mm -hmm. like, fuck it, let's go with the two inches. So the more books I put out, the more people could fit in there without having to buy a second one. It's pretty cool because that idea did not take long to go from, wouldn't it be cool if to actual fruition and um and i i totally get the idea to have like a prototype not of everything you don't have to have a prototype of everything but boy is it nice to have them you know i know for that kadoja volume three kickstarter that was the one where i introduced that red figure the red kadoja figure and i got one made because i wanted to make sure that you could see what it looks like in a photo or in my hand as opposed to just a mocked up red one um, so, yeah, man, I, I, I do understand the value of that. So that's very cool. So for me, um, I also had a busy week, dude. So we're going to have some shit to talk about. I have either three or four things, depending on how I want to do it. And um, and I think they're all worth mentioning. I, I'm going to almost kind of go chronologically because I think that makes sense. So just to refresh, got back from Scotland, loved Scotland needed a couple days to get back to it. You know, I think I was I came across some comment you had mentioned about your trip where you talked about how it takes a week to really get get back in it. And uh, it took almost a week for me to get back in it cuz we recorded the podcast last week later in the week. I had come home early in the week, we recorded it later in the week. But um that was really before all this stuff happened. So the first thing I did is I went through the entire Symphony of Madness issue number one, because I, I'm giving myself about a week and a half more, and then I'm going to send the book off to the printer so that I can fulfill the Kickstarter with plenty of time. 
And the first, so what I did two things involving lettering for Symphony of Madness number one. First, I took the 22 pages that Will Perkins had done, which are pages nine through 30, essentially. And um, that was the kind of thing where I adjusted the balloons, made sure things looked nice and centered, that they weren't too tight, you know, etc. Again, my my style, my preferred style of lettering is a little different. I like the balloon to be a little bit tighter to the words and, and just go from there as opposed to a standard uniform, maybe round balloon. But um, again, and I think there is a little bit of a joy in lettering in that you can have it modify to whatever you want it to be. I mean, it's your comic. You know, we talk right. about that a lot. Yeah, I was reading um, um, We Only Find Them When They're Dead, a book we've talked about here a few times. And that was something, just since you and I have been talking about lettering uh, most recently, I was noticing that their balloon choice is like almost a perfect circle. It's not a perfect circle. It's like almost a perfect oval, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. It's like almost like a circle, but a little bit Um, ovalish, somewhere in between. And it's their style for every single balloon. No matter how much lettering is in there, mm-hmm. they just like the big circle. And it's it's interesting choice. But yeah. the thing is, it's consistent throughout. And yeah. so no matter what your style is, as long as you're consistent throughout, then it's good. It's solid. Yeah. Which kind of brings us to the second thing. So that was what I did for the first part. But then the second thing I did was I finally took Francesca Fantini's inked inks over Rory Smith's pencils, which constitute the first eight pages of the issue. So Kadoja diehards out there who have Kadoja Declassified, which is the single issue comic I released between volumes two and three, um, that that is a lot of that content is here. There is stuff involving this mental patient who plays a role in Kadoja named Andra Kasa and also Professor Murakami, a character in Kadoja, who is on kind of like the what's going on with this cosmic madness thing. Right. That's his thing. So Kadoja Declassified is presented as pencils with full text balloons and lettering and things like that. So what I did was uh, I paid Francesca to ink over that so it has a finished feel. And then what I did was I, I put, assembled all that together into a rough PDF that I sent to Mike and Kevin at Invader and then went from there. Um, I did have a thought about that, which was interesting, which is, you know, Rory Smith lettered the first nine and a half, maybe 10 issues of Kadojus. That's all of volumes one and two. And Rory's personal style was to have the vol like you could tell with what he did, he would letter it and then he would draw a balloon around it because his balloons are really tight. They're of all kinds of different shapes. He does all kinds of weird shit. So <laughs> as much as much as I would love to have redone that and make it uniform with me, I'm not gonna. I, I I like it as is, even though it's a different style, I will have a separator page and and that's that. But like what Rory and the thing about what made it so what would make it so hard for me to redo Rory's balloons when I say weird shit is that Rory would have like those kind where a character does a monologue with slight interruptions and he would make like a four-pronged balloon that's staircased to allow the interjecting bits of dialogue on the other side of it. So it was a very, it's a very complex artistic balloon that he is doing. He's not just doing single balloons all over the place. And when he's doing double balloons, they've got interesting shapes. They've got interesting bends in their connections. Sometimes he's doing quadruple balloons. Sometimes he's doing quintuple. He's like all over the place, just going ham with these really, um, 
interesting creative balloon choices and like i'm i'm not there yet in terms of wanting to go over that so i just left them as is they look cool and then plus i think you told me in the past that when he sent you those files over he just married the balloons to the art so you essentially have them as a jpeg so i'd imagine that would be really difficult too to like go over and try to mask them or, or cover them up completely like you said since he chose different shapes it's not uniform it wouldn't be easy to go over yeah well that's a great memory because that is the way it was but then i finally got the full-on psds from him so oh, okay, i could cool. go back and do it but again it's just they look fine you know what i mean like cool. it, it's interesting you sent me a note i think after last week's podcast about eric larson's 10 rules of lettering i disagree with four of them you know what I mean? And, and 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 I disagree. I mean, maybe it was three. I don't know. But the reason I disagree with them is because it's not it's not necessarily disagree disagreeing. See, disagreeing. Look at that. How much <laughs> of this beer have I drank? And I'm already a dumb fuck. So you we're, dissing we're, Eric Larson, or you agreeing? I'm 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 playing the dozens with Eric Larson. <laughs> you know, um, although Eric Eric Larson's pretty responsive. He might respond to this and be like, "Keith Foster's a clown," you know, which would be hilarious. Because I am. <laughs> but um, but but the reason is that I believe that I don't believe that these are hard and fast rules. I believe they are differences in philosophy. And so it comes down to what your philosophy of lettering is. And I know we're getting deep into lettering here, but I do think that's the sort of stuff you think about when you've lettered for a while. There is no one way to do it. You can do it in whatever way works for you and what works for your book. Kadoja is a very feely kind of book it's raw it's not polished you know and it deals with kind of filthier subjects like that's the point of it you know so to cap that off with clean balloons sure you can do it but i think it works with clean and dirty i mean i'm gonna have a little bit of a reckoning when i do kadoja the the omnibus the one version because then i'm gonna have to choose a side but that is years out in the future and i can worry about that when i get to it Right on, man. Very, very cool. Um, I like that you're doing the remastering and, and or just thinking about the remastering on certain mm -hmm. issues and uh, choosing to leave certain things as is. So you're just like, hey, this this works for me, so let's keep it. You know, the it way looks it is. cool. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I do my remastering, I'm going to completely redo the lettering because it's it's me learning. You know, it's it wasn't an artistic choice like Rory's was with with a few of your issues. Whereas mine was me learning how to letter and all I'm seeing is mistakes. So I'm just looking going, yeah. I would correct that. I would correct that. Um, even to the point where um, Ian and Cabo, he was actually, he was doing a, a secret identity. He was uh, uh, doing my lettering for a couple of books. And he asked me, do you prefer the bubbles close in and tight to the letters? Or do you want a little bit of breathing room? Mm -hmm. And at the time I said, no, go ahead and put it in close. I like it close. Um, time has changed after a few years. I'm like, I don't like that anymore, but I remember mm -hmm. that it was a conscious choice that I told him to do. So that's on me, but I do believe I can, I can get those, those lettered pages from him, the files, illustrator files, and I can adjust them myself like later on. So, but that, that yeah. was my choice. So no, that makes sense. Uh, one final thought I wanted to mention on this is obsessing over lettering, the kind of people who obsess over lettering. So 
you know, let's say that I put this book out into the wild. And of course, now that people listen to the podcast, they're going to have like an in-depth understanding of the lettering. And it may have called attention to something that they would have previously just blown right over. But the thing about the type of lettering nuances we're talking about is they are the type of nuances that maybe, and I mean maybe, four out of a hundred people, maybe 10 out of a hundred people notice, but no more than two to four people actually care about. So in my opinion, that's not who I'm making the comic for. You know, like if you can read the words and it goes on in the story, then that's fine by me. Like, that's that's my philosophy. And again, I get to make my comics and have my comics be my voice on or my vote on how to make comics. But for me, you know, like I went through this kind of stuff with music, too. You know, you could you could tweak your music and you can go through all these little things about your music that are going to try to satisfy that one person out of 100 who has expert level knowledge in like the mic equipment you're using and how your mic placement is and whether it's right or wrong. But honestly, are you making music for that one person? I don't think you are. And if you're trying to please that one person, though, then you're ignoring the other 99. And that's not that's not the way to go to me. So, again, lettering nuance, differences in lettering philosophy, it's the kind of stuff most people don't even pay attention to. They just read it, move on through the comic, and they're good. Right, yeah. Yeah, and again, consistency. So if you're totally. doing... You're, you're doing those choices every single time, then it's not a mistake. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, he keeps making this mistake. No, it's it, it's consistent throughout. Exactly. So it's something you're meaning to do. Um, yep. You know, it's just yep. kind of like writing or drawing in a way. Like if you always do have certain ticks that you put into your writing or into your art, those are conscious choices. You're doing yeah. it for a reason. Absolutely. What was your second right. thing, man? Uh, my second thing is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll combine these two. Um, so I got my toe back into the commission world. Uh, that was what I've been putting off for a few weeks since I was getting ready for San Diego Comic-Con. And um, I, a couple of my clients, they hit me up. They're like, hey, man, just wondering. And I'm like, dude, I'm working Comic-Con this week, but uh, message me again on Wednesday of next week. And then they're like, oh, crap, I should have known you're working that. My fault. And it's like, hey, don't worry about it. So I told them, I'm like, I'm not going to remember to to message you back right away. So go ahead and message me on Wednesday. Give me a few days to recover and you know we'll go from there. So I, I dipped my toe back into there. There were some issues with uh, like the design layout I went for initially. We went back and forth and you know he ended up showing me a poster image of something he was looking for. And I'm like, dude, that's 100% away from what I just did for you. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take a pause. Come back to me when you're in town. Let's work on this. Work on this when you get back into town, and I think we'll have a better understanding. So he was good with it. So I actually get a um, two week break on that. I don't think he's coming back until the fifteenth. So it's like okay, cool. I can go focus back on my own stuff, which is right. ridiculous. It's like yeah, I know I know I need to make money and do these commissions, but uh, I'm just right. so in- enamored with my own work right now. Like the process of getting shit done is just it's in the forefront of my mind, and it's what I want to stay on and. Totally. Honestly, if you're working on the thing that you want to work on, you're going to work on that thing way faster. So uh, I'm just in the groove with my own work right now, and I kind of want to stay on that um, to the point where I started doing uh, character sheets. Um, so I have started this process before uh, with, with my characters. So the Second Shift universe, I'm actually going to do character sheets for every single person in the universe. Um, heroes, villains, side characters, all of that. And uh, I managed Omelets. to knock out... What's that? 
the omelets. omelets. Yep, yeah. different kinds. Western um, the meat lovers, bacon, right. cheese. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I get. Yep, yep, and uh, the southwestern. So uh, I did the uh, northwestern. Yeah, that too. That's a new one. Tex Mex. <laughs> I'm um, smacking it up and flipping it on you and rubbing it down. <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> So I worked on the character sheet of Bionni Man, and I knocked it out. And honestly, I really liked the way it came out. It kind of had a chunkier look to it, not not as in putting on weight, but putting on muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, it very reminiscent of that uh, Udon's studio style or mm-hmm. uh, Eric Nunez. So like like I really enjoy the flavor of that artwork, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to add more of that manga anime video game style to my work along with the american comic book style just trying to blend those two worlds and i feel like it's getting there it's Mm -hmm. like you know more and more consistently there than not so so i'm very happy with that do you think that's a i mean so i am fascinated by that because the thing i was going to say as a smart ass is like yes god appeal to those manga kids like think for the future (laughs) You know, like as, you're as we saw at Phoenix Fan Fusion. Yeah, and and as we're going to see at every comic show, I have heard refrains of that at other shows. But I also get the feeling that that's a natural evolution. It's just what you're doing. It's the kind of stuff you're getting exposed to, and you draw it, and then you're like, yeah, I kind of like this, and I kind of like the way this is going. And so it it everything about your evolution to a manga shading to the way you do stuff feels natural, and I feel like you've arrived there. You've, you've gradually walked there and sort of evolved to that point. And now I think it's strong enough to the point where it is actually part of like your style, your artistic voice, since right. I use voice a lot as a writer. Yeah, man. Um, so, it, and honestly, it's, it's a long time coming, really. So as I've talked about on the pod is my base is Jim Lee, is Art Adams Jim Lee. That's my base. And then you, you have those other creators that were coming up while I was a teenager um, J. Scott Campbell, Joe Matarera, um, uh, um, who else? Who else has a very manga bend to their work? Humberto Ramos. So you get those artists that um, you grow up watching, you know, beyond your base, and you start getting influenced by them. Like mm-hmm. Campbell is Art Adams, Jim Lee, without the sh- the, the cross hatching. That's essentially what it is. If you look at a lot of uh, uh, J. Scott Campbell's work, it's very very much those two artists combined to with a Disney Disney bend to it as mm-hmm. well as like kind of like a animation style and then Humberto Ramos is very anime heavy very cartoon heavy very cartoony and then Joe Matt is straight up manga mixed with American style comics so it's just um you know watching those artists as I grew up and then getting exposed to guys like Eddie Nunez who is also part of Wildstorm it's just like, man, there's something about that style that I really dig. And then, like, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize it playing Street Fighter growing up. You know, you're getting exposed to that style. You know, Street Fighter Alpha, Marvel Capcom. Ooh, you know, yeah. like, yeah, man. So you, you, you know, we've those, already talked Marvel Capcom too. So we have, we have. And then you flip cable through, for the fucking win, dude. And then you get the you get the video game right. You get the disc, and it comes with the little booklet. And you get to flip through and you get to see all the character art. And it's just so badass. It's just mm-hmm. like all of this style, all of this flair, these chunky shapes. And it's just like, dude, this is this is badass and, and I love it so much. 
And so that just creeps into your mind, or at least my mind, as I'm growing up and drawing and realizing it's okay to let go of some of those early influences. You don't have to do everything like Jim Lee did or everything like Art Adams did. You know, bring your own flair to it. You you know, like I found that I just like more of an open style line. You know, it's just like instead of having like heavy blacks everywhere or, uh, you know, a lot of cross hatching, it's just like, no, I kind of just dig the open line, the open space and letting those lines breathe and let the characters form breathe. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I think the other thing that's interesting is style is always changing. I, I am the kind of person that always likes, like my favorite kind of bands are the bands that always evolve a little bit. Well, except for Slayer. <laughs> they, they recorded the same album 12 times, basically. But I do like when people move on, move forward and bring in those other little bits of influence. And I think that's that's what reading does. That's what absorbing culture does. You're going to absorb those things either consciously or unconsciously, and then they're going to become part of your style and that's going to help you evolve. And the, the cycle sort of continues, you know. So anyway, I think that's super cool. I think that's super cool. All right. So my second thing, I want to talk about a very slow fucking round of golf. And trust me, this has to do with comics, okay? So anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I've really gotten back into golf. You know, I now have a couple sets of golf clubs because I bought this cool used set while my... Oh, maybe I didn't mention that. Did I mention did. that I bought it? Yeah, okay. You did. They were super yeah. badass. They were like copper plated. Yeah, yeah, my, my treasure clubs. Um, so I'm big into golf, obviously. And I played golf uh, Friday last Friday afternoon. You know, playing golf on a Friday afternoon. So I will let people know that I played a paid a whopping sixteen dollars for my round of golf. Okay, well wait, nice. it had a, it was a cart, so it was twenty one. It's like this executive course. Executive means mostly par threes, and I teed off at four o'clock. This is a very short course to get around, so you could probably play it in most cases in about three hours. Well, it took me four. There there are things you have to understand on a golf course, like. If, if somebody hits and you are next to hit, then here's what you don't do. You don't wait for them to hit, take their tee out of the ground and walk over to their cart. And then that is when you get out of the cart, select your club, walk over to the tee, and then take your practice swings. No, bitch. You should be on the tee. You should yeah. be standing on the tee on when deck. they hit their Gotta shit. Gotta be on deck. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, and, and you might ask, why do I have such crystal clear observations and that's because the round was so fucking slow that i basically lived the round of the four players in front of me as well as my own because i caught up to them for almost every shot of their goddamn round we get on the first tee and it's nothing but foursomes and fivesomes yeah um so i got paired up with another uh single player and then we got paired up with uh, uh, uh two women and on the first tee one of the women says i think we're gonna hang back I think we're just going to play as a twosome. Is that okay? So I said, actually, I prefer you don't because we that means we are just going to wait on every single shot and you're going to be running into us on the tee box every single hole anyway. She's like, well, that's okay. If that happens, then we'll join up. The round was agonizingly slow, like agonizingly. So by the fifth hole, I'm just like, I got to do something to where I can just take my mind off golf. So... Over the course of the next two and a half hours, I did a ton of editing for the animal script. I basically redid, not just edited, but redid 11 pages of Animals Volume 1. Wow. 
Like, think about that shit. I mean, I'm sitting there going line by line, and that's how much time I had on the tee boxes of every hole. I had five to ten minutes every single hole to just sit there and do nothing but think about the animal script and tweak it. So, look, I am thankful that I can get Microsoft Word on my phone as I'm just sitting in a golf cart doing nothing on a golf course because I have not gone back and read it yet. I wanted it to sit a little bit, but I'm probably going to check it out tomorrow and see how I did. And uh, let that, you know, I let it simmer on the stove. And now I get to go back in there and take a look and see how my rewriting did. So I'm excited to do that. And again, thank thank you to uh, an incredibly slow round. And thank me for figuring out a way to make that round tolerable by coupling golf with editing one of my comics. <laughs> that sounds miserable, man. I'm actually going to play tomorrow. Oh. Um, I, yeah, I haven't played in over a month. My buddy has forgotten or something has come up the last two times we were supposed to play. So mm. I've been trying to play every two weeks, and I think, honestly, it might be a month and a week at this point that I haven't played. So kind of sucks. I'm trying to get better. I've only been out three times at this point, and, um, you know, the longer it takes for me to play again, it's, it's not going to get any better. But I have been putting around the house, and my putting is getting very strong, so I'm pretty happy yeah. about that. Hell um, yeah. So I uh, took a day to just study. I was like, you know what? I I don't feel like working on a particular project today. Um, this was after I did some commission work, and I worked on a character page, and I was going to start another character page, but I was like, you know what, I want to, I just want to take the day and work on something that I need to work on. So I started watching a couple of videos. The first video that I watched was, um, a Dave, I started on the Dave Finch channel. Um, I've mentioned the Dave Finch channel many times here on the podcast. It's a great channel if you're trying to learn. And uh, obviously you're listening to the Making Comics podcast, so you're into learning. So if you're an artist out there and you're not watching Dave Finch's channel on YouTube, go do yourself a favor and watch that. Um, so he had, I think it was a three-video, a three-part video on Nex. And I was like, you know what? Let's watch that. I think I, I think I can strengthen my neck game. This is something that I've been wanting to do anyway. And it's interesting, this is something I've talked about in the past. Like, you can learn information, and you understand the information that you're getting, but for some reason you cannot implement it. And that's been happening to me a lot lately on the other side of that, where I'm learning information, relearning information that I've already known, but could not implement. So I'm re-watching certain videos, or, or looking at certain... Uh, drawings of, of different parts of or the, uh, different parts of the body, and I'm just understanding them more. So watching this Dave, these three Dave Finch videos, I realized I'm totally grasping this. I get this. I understand this. So normally I like to uh, draw, watch, and draw at the same time. And um, for this particular video, the first one definitely, I was just watching. I was like, I completely understand this now. I understand all of the neck muscles, and. Um, by the third video, I was like, I should probably draw this. You know, I should probably put this into practice. And I was able to do it so quick. And that was, like, made me feel really happy. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, the more the more you understand the human anatomy, the easier it is for you to draw. So when you're twisting and turning the body, you understand how it works. And so it's not so much of a struggle bus when you're working. You're trying to figure out these figures. You're like, yeah, I understand how that part of the body works and how that connects with the rest. So um, um, that was super fun to do, and uh, that was just the first part of the day. The second video that I watched, uh, Dave Finch had Eric Kennedy in. Eric Kennedy is also a Wildstorm alum, 
Um, he is actually from the uh, uh, animation world. He has an animation background, um, but he did work for Wildstorm at one point. Um, so anyway, he was on there. He's known to have a very um, forced, forced, perfect, uh, forced perspective um, style. So it's there's a lot of energy to it and almost like body distortion the way he does it but the the way he pulls it off it still makes sense it's like i don't understand how you're doing it and how you're making that work so if you guys get a chance and you have 2 hours the video is 2 hours long it might be 2 hours plus watch that video find it go to Dave Finch's channel look for Eric Canetti and he explains his style on how to do force perspective and how he thinks of the body how he thinks of anatomy and it's just far different than anything I've ever heard, but it makes complete sense when he explains it. And then he shows you, he physically draws out what he's what he's talking about, and you're like, okay, wow, I can see that. The interesting thing is, Dave Finch's style is completely divorced from this. Like, he is very, it's very grounded in reality. Um, very detail-oriented, a lot of cross-hatching, etc. Um, and then he has, like, a novice on there, uh, beginner, um, actually, like, and I kind of don't understand why he's on there. Um, um, it's kind of weird, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So you get three drawings. So the way the video started was they drew a couple of poses. And Eric took those poses and redid them in his style. And, like, the difference in finished pieces was insane. So Dave was mimicking his style, and he would show his piece as Eric went along. And you're kind of like, oh, like, that's not, it's not really working. And Dave Finch is such an accomplished artist that it's like, wow, this is kind of crazy that it's not working. But then it cuts to, you know, you it shows Eric working on the one piece throughout the whole video, and at the end it cuts to the other guy's pieces. Dave Finch's came out pretty crazy. It was like, it was this awesome meld of the exaggeration with his detailed styling. And for some reason it worked, and it looked mm. bonkers. But it was just super cool to, to see. So if yeah. you guys get a chance, watch that video. I learned a lot just by watching it. And um, it's nice to have those days where you're just taking in information and learning something new. That is awesome. That is awesome. And um, again, I'm not an artist, so I can't really comment on a lot of that. But what I can comment on is the fact that we're already running long. And we've had a couple episodes where we've had so much dope shit to talk about that we really haven't had a main topic. So in the interest of this week's main topic, I'm just going to share one more thing and then we can move on to the main topic. But I have okay. a, a big thing that will extend to next week. So it'll just be the lead thing for next week. But in the spirit of what you just talked about, Scott. So for the artists out there, I think that is a great two hours to spend your time. For the writers out there, I'm going to give you what I think is a great hour 30 to spend your time. And that is find the Mark Marin podcast, WTF, with Neil Gaiman. Now, Scott, you and Ed, within two minutes of each other, sent me that link. It must have been oh, when, nice. the, when the episode dropped. But I got separate notes from both of you, like Neil Gaiman's on Mark Marin this week. And again, I'm, I don't think I make any secret about how much I love Neil Gaiman, one of my favorite writers. Sandman's amazing. Sandman is not out yet as we record this, but when this airs, it will have been out for a little while. So I'm a little nervous and a little excited, and uh, but whatever. doesn't change the fact that I love Sandman as a comic. But Neil Gaiman on Mark Maron was fantastic. It was so cool to hear him talk because not only was he talking about stuff 
that was writing. But but the focus of the writing was Sandman because he is here to promote the Sandman on Netflix. So that means that so many of the things he's talking about are going to be Sandman focused, which is just it's a dream for me. You know, like for for 10 years, I've been telling anyone who will listen that Neil Gaiman, you know, American Gods is great. Neverwhere is great. I'm not a fan of a lot of Neil Gaiman's other stuff. I mean, I never read Coraline. I'm not a fan of Graveyard Book. I couldn't even make it through it. There's some other things, but like those two books, man, those are amazing. But I tell people, I'm like, that's not even the best thing he's ever written. The best thing he's ever written is Sandman, you know, but nobody, people don't give it as much mind as they should because it's a comic book. Um, so now I'm I'm hoping that Sandman gets some of that widespread acclaim that that it so deserves because of because of how good it is. So he was talking about Sandman, but the thing I want to mention. So number one, it's great to just listen to him talk. It's great to listen to him talk because his accent's so fucking cool. You know, like <laughs> if if you've never heard Neil Gaiman talk, he's from the UK. I think he's actually English, but his voice has this amazing sing songy quality where it's the typical, like, he could read the phone book and I'd be interested. So number one, he's actually literally interesting to listen to. Number two, because he's an accomplished writer, he's also interesting to listen to. And he had a couple of really funny stories in there. And over the course of the last couple of days, I found myself relaying these stories to, like, friends or my wife or people like that. But the thing I want to talk about is at some point in the podcast, he's, he's riffing with Mark Marin about how people come up to him at shows and they ask him questions and blah, blah, blah. And I think he was talking about something about the writing process. And he says, yeah, you know, somebody came up to me at a show and they asked, Neil, what kind of research did you do for American Gods? And he said, well, I read everything I could get my hands on for 40 years. (laughs) So I love that quote. I think it's a great quote. But in fact, I put it on my Instagram. But what I especially love about it, what do you think? What do you think that prompted me to do, Scott, that night? You read American Gods? No, I read more. I just I read more. So. When 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 Neil Gaiman tells you that the prep he did for a book was to read literally everything he could get his hands on for 40 years, that is sending a signal to all the writers out there, which is you need to read more. You just need to read more. I mean, that's always been the thing. I've mentioned how how important reading is. But what Neil... Okay, because I know American Gods. What Neil Gaiman's thing opened up. And this is part of like a larger unfolding for me. You know, like I've written comics for a while. But I've really been flying by the seat of my pants as I wrote comics. You know, like I've been learning on the fly. So in taking all these novel classes and getting my UCLA writing certificate in learning at the heels of published authors, in going to all these workshops, I've gotten a more formal introduction into writing. But how do we learn anything? We, we have somebody bring us along and they teach us all their amazing secrets and, and things, and we learn those secrets and we make them their, our own. But then what happens after that? Well, at some point you start to actually combine all their stuff with your stuff, and that's when you become truly original. That's when you start to really get your own voice. And so one of the mantras I've been living by for the last three years is that people who write for a living read fiction every day and they write fiction every day. But when I heard Neil Gaiman's line, 
about how he read literally everything he can get in hand, his hands on for 40 years. I'm sitting there thinking, well, I can't really read more fiction and I'm not sure I want to. You know, like I've read more than 40 novels a year for four years and three years in a row now and almost four. I'm on pace to read more than 40 novels this year. I read a shit ton of comics. So the question I ask myself is, how can I read more? What can I do to read more? And the answer is nonfiction. The answer is leafing through nonfiction or magazines or things like that to feed your brain. Because what I know about American Gods after, you know, I've read it four times. I love the book is that I guarantee that so much of that stuff that Neil Gaiman learned, he did by reading nonfiction. So I don't think this is a revelation for anybody, but the revelation is definitely make sure you're reading as much as you can and read that much because it all matters. You know, like there's a, there's a back-ended thing to Neil Gaiman's quote there where what he's kind of saying without saying it is you never know what's going to make it into your story until it makes it into your story. So read, feed that brain, fill that brain with all kinds of cool shit, and you'd be surprised what happens once it goes through your little internal combustion engine and comes out the other side of the author processor into whatever the thing you're making is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, reading like like nonfiction things, reading history, um, anything it might trigger something in your head and go, what can I, hey, I can use that. I can do, I was listening to, um, it's a episode of uh, Joe Rogan. He's talking to this, this guy that is a UFO uh, documentarian, essentially. Like people find him and just tell him their UFO stories. And he, he vets it like over and over again. Mm -hmm. he, he recently did a documentary on Bob Lazar. Um, do you know who that is? No. Okay, he worked um, at a like an Area 51 type place. It's actually very close to Area 51 in the 80s. And he was let go. Um, but since then, he was letting people know, like, this is what I was working on. And uh, it's crazy. Like, apparently the facility he was at, he was working on UFOs. Like, trying to reverse engineer how the UFO worked. And, like, no one believes him. They think he's a crackpot. And he was giving them information goes look this is what i saw while i was there they had the basically the first retinal and hand scanner basically inner buildings in the 80s and um so like the stuff he was talking about those things came to light years later they're like no that's a real thing no we actually do have that and it was just like oh fuck that guy was telling the truth um they found they basically said that guy's never worked here or whatever there was no no data to prove that he worked there. They erased everything. But there were actual, like, like physical, um, basically, uh, rosters. And they found an old one where he was actually on it. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm listening to this documentary and talk about Bob Lazar. And, I, and I've actually watched the episode where Bob Lazar was on. And it's just fascinating to listen to. I, I love this shit. Like, I'm... I, it's like kind of like a it's not a big thing for me. Like, it's not, like, my f main focus or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I love hearing about this stuff like sure. it's just fascinating to me um so anyway just listening to all of the 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 things that they're talking about it just starts triggering different things in your brain mm -hmm. and you're like oh man that that's making me think of this well, what if this happened what if you use that piece of information and i can put that into a story and i can use it this way and so it just triggered me to think about what i want to do with with my books and what i could possibly use out of these real world stories you know if they're real or not real who's to say but 
it triggers something in your head just listening to a podcast about someone who uh, researches UFO, UFOs. It's just yeah. something completely different. Totally. Um, or like uh, the podcasts the are great for nonfiction. Yeah. Right. Have you ever list, uh, read the book Miami, or Manhattan Projects? No. Oh, yeah. You mean the comic? Yes. Yes. I read the first eight issues. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that... That's or or like, whatever. I think I read the first six, and I was like, oh, no, man, this is getting a little weird and dense for me, so I'm out. Yeah, it gets kind of crazy. Like, I heard... Yeah. Uh, I haven't read all of it, but yeah. I think I I think it only goes... Maybe it, go, maybe it only goes up to eight, and I bought them all and read them all, but I still kind of checked out. I can't remember. No, I think there's a few... <laughs> I think there's a few trades of it. Um, but I just... I didn't stop because I didn't like it. It just... it You know, there's so much stuff out there. Anyway, that took a real-world scenario, and then it goes, what if we do this crazy shit with it? And so that makes for a fun project, you know. Sometimes you can use these real-world scenarios and twist them and bend them to your will and what you want to do with them. Yeah, Department of Truth is a great example of that, which I don't read anymore, but I read like the first 16 issues of. That's a great example of taking some stuff and messing with it for sure. So, And that's a really popular book. Um, I know it, it. there's an issue in particular where they really focus on the conspiracy theories around Denver International Airport and I can't look at DIA the same. In fact, I kind of want to... It's interesting because I just booked a fencing trip in October for me and Eden. And we're going to have a five-hour layover in DIA. And I kind of want to go on like a conspiracy clue hunt for some of that time and just go crazy with the weirdness of DIA. Because it's got all kinds of weird shit going on. But anyway, that's the point, right? You feed your imagination, you know? Yep, absolutely. Um, I have an important question for you. Sure. It's a two-prong question. We talked about Loch Ness last week, right? Did we talk about Loch Ness last week? Oh, man, I can't remember. I don't think we did. Okay, two, okay. so quick quick thing. Do you believe in the Loch Ness Monster? Um, I don't know if I believe that it is alive still, mm -hmm. but I do believe that something like it could have existed because most of the sea world, the sea life, we do not know. It's undiscovered. Yeah. Yep. So, do I believe something giant can live far underwater and eventually resurface here and there to eat and whatever and then go back down? Yeah, absolutely. How big is it? Oh, fuck, man. I don't know. In my head, No, it's... no, important question. Yeah. Okay, in my head, it's like, I don't know, the size of uh, a whale. Okay. Yep. I would say. Yep. So, so, my quick answer to that is I believe that there are multiple Loch Ness monsters because I toured Loch Ness, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that as part of my Scotland recap, but I was, I was above the middle of Loch Ness, oh. which is, which is more than 200 meters deep at its deepest point, 200 fucking meters, dude. That is more than 600 feet deep. Okay. That's mm -hmm. deeper than most oceans on average. So I believe there are Loch Ness monsters, but I believe none of them are ever bigger than 40 feet long. You know what I mean? So I think I, I don't I don't think any of them are Godzilla size. You know what I mean? No, but I no, think no. so. So to that point, do you believe alien life exists? And do you believe there was a crash at Roswell in the 1940s? Uh, yes and yes. OK, OK. I'm I'm a I'm a yes and a no. So okay. I I think it is obvious that alien life exists, but right. I don't necessarily believe in the Roswell story as it is told. Gary is probably doing fucking cartwheels right now and wants to drive out to California to punch me in the face. But Gary, you'll get your chance. You'll get your chance, okay? Like I'll be in Phoenix someday and you can just haul off and punch me in the face then. <laughs> After uh, we drink his insanely 
uh, ABV beers, which are still uh, probably sitting like fifteen feet from you. Yeah, they're in my fridge. Yeah, both are of you, our cans or both are of our bottles. Che- are you checking a bag to Seattle? I'm not sure. I might. I'm going you, to see if I can get away with not, but okay. um, uh, potentially. So, but if I see you yes. beforehand, maybe I can hand them off to you because you are checking a bag. Yes. I, I am checking a bag. Well, so I just like you, I just made the decision that you know what? It's thirty dollars each way. And I and I think I you like if I pay sixty tiny little dollars, then I don't have to obsess with any of this fucking crap about checking stuff. Now, Martin, um, who's not gonna make it, unfortunately, he is actually gonna ship the books that he has for me to another location, which, you know, I could technically get really cute about it. By the way, guys, we're at Emerald City. We're And, and we're going to put something at the beginning of this podcast. But when this airs, Emerald City is later this week, party people. So if you're in the Seattle area and you're going to see us, then booth 836 is where the party be jumping. <laughs> so anyway. And, a- uh, okay. and ask us what we're drinking that day. That's, yeah, ask us what we're drinking that day, because odds are, it's something, brother. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> this is just how we do conventions. Exactly, exactly. And and you and me are hanging, and uh, and I don't know how much you know about Seattle, but I got tons of ideas. And um, hey, man, are you 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 do you like coffee enough? You do, right? Um, yeah, I haven't had coffee in in since November, but uh, yeah, I do like coffee. I hope you're open to having coffee for the four days we're there because we are very close to one of the coolest places in North America to drink coffee, which is the Starbucks Roastery. It is the it is the Willy Wonka chocolate factory, but for coffee. It is this elaborate, fucked up Starbucks factory where they have all kinds of weird shit. It's high priced, but it is worth it. And I make a point when I go to Seattle for this Emerald City show that I drink coffee there every single day because, yes, it's a little pricey, but those are the only four days of a year where I am going to knock back that dope-ass coffee. So I highly recommend it. I'm going. If you want to sleep in, that's on you, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Okay. Um, You know, going back to the alien stuff, I I don't know if we're losing anyone during this. But, <laughs> ah, you know, maybe it's maybe it's natural attrition, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like how far apart is uh, liking comics and liking aliens? Uh, well, that's, I mean, so so ladies me? and gentlemen, we're we're just doing a little tea. Should we should you say this for bring the bullshit? Why don't we do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's so, let's, um, let's get to our main topic and then you can feel free to shut us off at bringing the bullshit when we get back into some whatever cool alien shit Scott's about to talk about. All right. <laughs> All right, so for our main topic, what we wanted to talk a little bit about, and we and I brought this up like four weeks ago, and I now have 12% alcohol at 16 ounces in me, so this is going to be a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of conversation. We want to talk about building your characters, right? And so Scott has talked a lot about building the characters in the second shift. and I, And I feel like it's important to dwell on, right? Because... There, there's a famous adage that, honestly, you could probably print out or should print out on like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper or even bigger and just frame it on your wall. Plot is character. Plot is character. What, what makes a story yours is not the plot because every plot has honestly been done. Don't think that you're going to get clever with a plot. But by all means, try to be as clever as possible. Try to do something that hasn't been done. 
create interesting characters and make sure that those characters are becoming the plot and that they are driving the plot forward. Now, that's only like three sentences, but it is a very big three sentences. You know, you have to have a good plot. You have to know your craft. And you have to have a good idea where the story is going, obviously, which is sort of knowing your plot. But when it gets to the character, I want to come back to start this conversation off. And maybe, Scott, if you want to riff on it, please do. How Ed got the job, right? How Ed got the gig was that you wanted the second shift characters to be talking in a diner and just have a scene. And then when Ed came back with that scene based on some pretty basic descriptions by you, he knocked it out of the park with them just hanging out at a diner. Um, so go ahead. You got anything else to add on that before we kind of go deeper? Yeah, I made sure to, you know, it, it. there were character details in there in which it kind of rounded them out. Like, you know, like I've said on, on past episodes that the characters are essentially four parts of my personality. So I know myself very well. So I just poured those aspects of my personality into each of the characters. So when I gave Ed the synopsis for each person, just like the quick, like, hey, here's their hopes, their dreams. This is their attitude. These are the things that they're into. You know, like, like you know, we've talked about with Gary is like, y- you get enough descriptors of the character, you know what chips they like. So that's what I was doing with Ed. I was like, okay, here's, here's what they're into. Here's what they like. You know, um, here's their goals. And Ed completely knocked it out of the park. Whereas this other guy just was a clown shoes and just like put every single thing into every single note that I gave that they wanted to be and do. He put it all in the opening scene with it. And it's like, no man, that that's, that's not what those were for. They were for you to understand who they were. It wasn't for you to put them into the story. Exactly. That's the difference between like there there's, educators have this concept of like the highest type of learning, right? What Scott is talking about there is the writer that didn't get the gig was basically regurgitating, spitting back. But what Ed was doing was synthesis, which is the highest kind of learning. You were absorbing, I think it's the highest kind of learning. You know who will know if it's right or wrong? Ed. And we'll find out in two weeks. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, like, like taking that synthesis, right? Like, taking all that information and then turning it into something new that synthesizes all the information came before. That's the highest kind of learning. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, when you're building your character, something else that you need to know when doing this is what their motivations are. What, what's their motivation as characters? What's the goal? What's the, what's the point of their story, their personal story? You know, even if they're a side character in your story, they're the hero of their own story. So make sure you know what their clear goal is, and it'll be so much easier for you to write and to draw that character. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing about the, we, we go back to the Gary Hodges chips thing a lot. And it, it's it's a stand-in for knowing your character. But the important thing is to have characters that are authentic, that are people, that feel like people, that feel real. And so while we want to talk about that, or at least we have talked about it a little bit, again, there's only so much you can really talk about it because you're going to repeat yourself. The question then might be, okay, well, what do I do? Like, okay, Keith, Scott, I have these characters, they're people, they're a set of attributes, they're all these things. How do I turn them into characters? You know, like maybe I'm not ready. 
maybe I, the comic creator, am not ready to, to put this character in the little Sims computer game environment and let it run around <laughs> yet. Maybe it's not ripe. You know, maybe it's not ready for, for the environment, the world of my comic yet. So what do I do? What are some things that I can do? And um, the the overall answer to that, it's kind of like a, an answer, but yet it's a bullshit non-answer is maybe you don't list their attributes. Maybe you don't list what kind of chips they want, right? But think about the kind of scene that you would want to write that's going to tell you about that character and then write that scene. You know, there's this, there's this idea of riff writing, character writing, non-continuity writing. You can call it a bunch of different things, but it's the type of writing that has value because it's never going to make its way into your actual story but it's going to inform the story by giving you more information about the character. And this is something I did, you know, going back to the infamous No Vaseline note about my novel from 18 months ago. One of the big notes was that I took, one of the big notes that I took was, um, I can't relate to your character. Your character's not that relatable. You, you know, it's, it's, it's not the kind of character I want to root for, and it's not the kind of character that I want to see through to the end of a novel. Okay, again, blunt but effective. So what did I do? I did, I think I ended up writing a grand total of 10 scenes from episodes of that character's life at critical junctures of that character's life that gave me an idea of what that character was at that moment and therefore how that informed the character's life, right? I mean, we all know this every single person listening to this podcast has been alive for 24 hours the last day. And we've been alive for 24 hours in the last day and then 365 days the last year. So every day is still a day, but not every day is the kind of day that informs your life, you know? And and when you're writing character stuff, if you want to pick, mo- you know, so one option is you pick moments in history. If we want to inform our idea of a character, pick an important day in their history or pick an important scene in their history, pick a pivotal scene that made them who they are. And then you write that scene and you write that scene because you have an idea of a character, but the idea of a character does not respond to sentences. Having that happen in scene form, having you see the way the character responds to those things as they happen in real time is super valuable in terms of, informing what you know about the character and now you've lived that moment and now that moment becomes canon quote unquote and now you can carry that forward so that's one option pick critical scenes and write them knowing goddamn well they're not going to make it into your comic right this isn't the point the point is to make your comic better not write pages for your comic yeah and 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 doing that exact exercise that'll inform other instances where a character is in another situation situation okay well he was under or she was under immense pressure in this one scene that i wrote and they responded this way okay this isn't as critical so how would they respond to that it's going to be somewhere around the same lines as as the previous scene but less intense or you know where they pushed like it's all dependent on what scene you wrote it's like how how much were they pushed to the edge where they pushed to the edge so far they finally broke so in these other smaller situations would they be more reserved you know that those that kind of writing informs other scenes and just moves you forward and just allows you to write other scenes with these characters so much easier exactly and that that The more you do of that, the more you understand your character, the more the character becomes a living, breathing, quote unquote, three dimensional thing, 
instead of just a stand-in collection of attributes. Which, you know, movies and TV, they don't have the time to develop character, so characters become attributes. But in places like comics, and definitely in places like novels, you don't have that excuse. You, you can't have a character be attributes. You have to have it be an actual real character. Um, for the fuck of it, some other characters, uh, some other character building scenes you could do that would help build out your character that won't make it into continuity. Scott's diner example is a pretty good example. Maybe don't, you know, you don't have to put your characters in a diner, but that kind of thing where they're just recapping their day because that's going to force you to think of what a typical day in that character's life was like and then how they recount that day. And all that shit matters. You know, if you, the listener, were having dinner with your friends right now and you were recapping today, what would that sound like? What do you think your friends are going to sound like? Is it different than you? Are they recapping different things than you? That's the kind of stuff that goes into characters and that gives you an idea of who makes who what they are, you know? And then a final possible example, you know, like this was the famous example, at least quote unquote famous, that my novel instructor gave to me. Put him in a psychiatric session. Have him talk about important shit to a psychiatrist. That's always a good way of unpacking what that character's about. Because again, what you don't want when you're writing this non-continuity content about your character is to just have them do a boring day. You don't want to have them go to McDonald's, order food, eat the food, go to go to work if they have a day job, have a typical job at day. No, no, no. Like you need to pick something that's meaningful in their life so that you can inform them and inform you and get that that actual life experience quote unquote of that character if that makes sense absolutely 100 percent makes sense yeah so i mean look those are just three examples um did you have anything else i mean again I, i don't think there's a ton to talk about there but hopefully we've covered a few bases that can start people on their own character journey if they feel that their character needs some work no honestly i think you covered it i think between you and i we covered everything that one would need to start at least working on their characters. And uh, yeah, just that's the basis of it. And I think Keith gave you guys a lot of examples of other things to try as well. So I got nothing else. Yeah. I mean, look, when we look back on this, we're going to see one set of footsteps and those footsteps are going to be our mine because Keith is on the ground and not moving. (laughs) No, they're they're going to actually be the footsteps of 903 Brewers Dice Goblin Reserve. Because that is who has carried me through these last 30 minutes. (laughs) All right, man. So anyway, I I hope that was helpful. Um, Again, character is the kind of stuff that like we, we can, you know, you can't talk about it for more than a dozen minutes maybe because the work is what you need to do. If you don't feel like you're comfortable with the character, write some more stuff so that you are are comfortable with the character. There's no right or wrong amount of scenes to write. Just get out there, feel like you have a level of comfort with your character, and be able to answer a lot of questions about that character. Once, once you feel like you can answer the questions about your character, then you're ready to put that character back into your story and have great results. And, you know, just from the drawing aspect, uh, the art aspect of it, think about think about fashion as well for your characters so 
you know, yeah, they might be, if you're writing a superhero book, yeah, they're going to be in spandex, but that also informs what kind of costume they would wear, you know, but what is their street clothes like? What kind of outfits would they wear? You know, um, my character Anne dress, dresses vastly different from Sarah. Like, they're just two different personalities, you know. Eddie wears way different things than John would. Like, there's just mm-hmm. certain certain costume choices or, or, or clothing choices that each one of your characters would make. And honestly, it's based off of personality, you know. Yeah. Like, the more you know your character, the more you know what kind of clothes they would wear. So, totally. make sure you're looking into fashion. Um, you know, like, if okay, I get this vibe. He's, okay, this guy's a skater. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a burnout or whatever. So you're going to, that's something you're going to Google. You're going to look that up unless you're a skater and a burnout and you already know what it looks like. Um, <laughs> but you want to be authentic to, um, the modern aesthetic. So that's something, um, I was working on, you know, like today I was like reading Ed's script and uh most recent script for second shift. And I was like, he was describing what the characters were wearing. And I was like, you know, that's what that character would have wore maybe 10 years ago you know, or like seven years ago or something like that when we first started all of this. So, but like now times have changed and this character is of this age. Like he is a uh, 19, 20 year old in 2022. What does a 19, 22 year old wear in 2002? Uh, Even with his certain personality, it's like, it's not the same as 2010. It's not the same as 2005. Yeah. So you have to make sure you're going with the times or if you want to kind of have this universal look, but it's kind of boring when you do that. So make sure you're looking into fashion of the current age. Uh, something I do is I talk to like, and if you're not of that age, try to talk to someone that is, you know, like I, I was yeah. talking to my niece about something as simple as, Hey, do you call your friends or do you guys only FaceTime and text? And she goes, what do mm-hmm. you mean? I called my friend the other day. I was like, okay, so you guys actually do call each other. She goes, yeah, mm-hmm. no, we call each other all the time. So it's just like, there was a point where, Oh no, old people call each other. Older people call each other. Young mm-hmm. people just text each other. It's not the case anymore. So mm-hmm. you just kind of got to check that out and see who's doing what and like, you know, so just to make sure your shit's accurate. Yeah, man. Hey, being an old fart and having kids has fucking advantages for writing, right? Cuz that's that's helped me too. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. I'm a I like to think I'm a, like a, an Olympian level shit talker, so I talk shit to my kids all the time, but I'm also <laughs> paying attention to what they actually do. You know, right. so um, so yeah, man. I I think that stuff again. It's it's all important, um, and I think the wardrobe stuff is interesting. You know, as as you were talking, I was thinking of three very simple, very obvious examples that I think all comic readers will appreciate. Right, number one, Clark Kent. What does he dress like? Well, he's all business, baby, because he's working at a reporter and he wants to try to look as nondescript and business like as possible. Okay, what does Peter Parker look like? In contrast, well, Peter Parker's going to be like low key. He's a photographer. He's also trying to call off attention to the fact that he is a superhero, but he's just fitting in and he doesn't make much money. So he's not going to try to be, you know, all buttoned up like a reporter. Yeah, he's a like t-shirt and jeans guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you contrast that with my favorite example of the three, Dr. Doom. He does not wear civilian clothes because he's fucking Dr. Doom, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. but like, but that, that, that shit matters. And that's how you understand, you know, like any human being out there, can you picture Dr. Doom in anything other than full Dr. Doom armor looking exactly like Dr. Doom? No, right? That's what makes Dr. Doom such an interesting character in his own right, right? So anyway, you, you know, I ride hard for Dr. Doom, but anyway, um, good shit, good shit. So. We have made it, party people. So the the promise of Scott's 
UFO conversation has reached its <laughs> fruition. So, you know, look, we, we, we called him off a little while ago. We said, hey, no, bitch. We got comic process things to talk about, but now here we are. We're in the bonus time where where if you want to tune out, you've already listened to the process stuff, and we got nothing but bullshit to bring. So let's do it, man. What you got? <laughs> it's a, well, it's it's kind of weird now that we're out of that that conversation, but um, you know, so I was listening to those episodes, and I do want to watch that Bob Lazar um, uh, documentary. And I was talking to my girlfriend about it, and she seemed super into it. We were actually having a conversation in the jacuzzi. Um, it was super hot over here. So, of course, what does one do going to jacuzzi? Um, so, <laughs> You know what I like to do? It's hot today. I'd like to sit in 105-degree water. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, no, we, we were playing with our dogs outside. I was getting sweaty, and like we were playing in the grass. So I was itchy, and I was like, I want to jump in the pool. So we went in the pool. It was a little over, it started to come a little overcast, a little breezy. And then, so, you know, it was jacuzzi time. So we're sitting there, we're talking and it's funny because we're just talking about like, do UFOs exist? Do, uh, aliens exist? And, and it's funny how quickly we both fell in line with it. And she's just like, yeah, of course they do. She's like, that's silly to believe that they don't. And I was like, thank you. Like, to me, it's insane. If people are like, no, we're the only thing we're so important that we're the only thing in the whole galaxy that exists. Like, that's yeah. fucking insane to me. And uh, I remember talking to my goddaughter about this years ago uh, when she was quite young. She was, I think she was just in junior high and or just starting junior high. And so she was learning about, like, outer space, the planets and everything. And so we started, she asked me if I believe in aliens. I was like, of course I do. And she goes, you do? And I was like, yeah. I was like, think about the galaxy, the universe. Think about outer space like this. The Earth is a fleck of dust or a piece of salt. That's the Earth. The galaxy, the universe, the outer space, it's planet Earth. It's the mm-hmm. size of, you know what I mean? So if you think about it, just to put her in that mindset, it's like, think about that. Think about the Earth as a piece of salt and and the outer space as the size of the planet Earth. That's where we are in this whole wide world. Yeah. So to think that we're the only thing, the only sentient beings that exist is arrogant and it's ridiculous. Yeah. This is a fantastic conversation to have after you've had a 12% beer, by the way. <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking fantastic. Oh, it's so good. But yes, I mean, to get to get a little nerdy on that, you know, I, I can't remember the number of places around the universe that basically have what's called the Goldilocks zone. Are you familiar yes. with the Goldilocks zone? Mm-hmm. So there are Goldilocks zones everywhere. Um, for the people that may not know, the Goldilocks zone is the term astronomers use for um, the area, the distance away from a star that is not too hot and not too cold, but just right there for the Goldilocks zone, AKA where planets just like earth could exist. So yeah, I mean, again, we might be losing, losing a couple listeners with this, but to me, it is just, it's obvious that aliens exist. It's obvious that aliens are out there. What's, what's not obvious to me is again, like I'm not a believer in like the 1945, 1947, whatever it is, Roswell crash. I'm just not sure about that. You know what I mean? Or a better way of putting it is I'm not sure about it. While I am convinced that aliens are out there. I I would say I'm with you on that. I'm more along the lines of like, I don't know if it actually happened, but like if you told me it did, I wouldn't be surprised. Totally. And and something that they were talking about in the interviews with a lot of uh, uh, different people coming to this, this person, this guy was that there was even one, there was a UFO that was retrieved 
from a dig site. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, oh no, it was an archeolo- archaeological dig and they yeah. found this UFO. It was from quite a long time ago. And so it's just like, yeah, that shit makes sense to me. And another one of the theories is humans are are a um, are from a accelerated uh, uh, gene processing essentially. Like we we exist as we are because something came and accelerated our brain growth, our genome, all of that stuff. So, dude, I love that we're just take. getting really fucking weird right now. We're getting this super weird with it. Yeah, we're and if weird. you guys, if you guys are interested in listening to this interview, five stars because, on fucking Spotify, people. Goddamn right, and that's where you can find it because it's the Joe Rogan podcast. So, you know, it's look. I'm not trying to trigger anyone. I, I like Joe Rogan, and I'm not into everything that he's into. But man, if I'm not into the comic end of him, like his comedy is awesome to me and um, his fascination with certain aspects and, and one of them being UFOs. So if you want to listen to this interview, it's really great. It really pulls you in. It is episode 1853 and the guy's name is Jeremy Corbell. So it's a fascinating episode. I'm not even completely done with it. I think I'm, um, uh, you know, two thirds the way, but it's uh, pretty awesome. So Neil Gaiman had this super interesting idea on the Mark Maron podcast. And what he talked about, I'm going to try to paraphrase it here because there's only one Neil Gaiman. He was basically saying that like, he was, okay, he had a couple great lines about how people asked him again about how kind of like he researches. And he used this phrase, I research like a magpie. I only go for the shiny bits. And what I loved about that line is, That's how I feel about research. I think we've talked about research before on this podcast, but the thing about research is it is a very seductive, slippery fucking slope. And you can do research and get so enamored with it that a month has gone by and you haven't written shit because all you've been doing is researching. And then what makes it worse is that then you feel the need to justify your researching. And therefore you start ham-handing shit into your story because it's cool. I speak from experience here because I did some of this in my first novel before I ended up cutting it. Like, cool doesn't mean it's relevant to your story. So, hey, if you're still listening and you got through that, then it turns out we do have some story shit for you because my (laughs) opinion on research is do just a little and then fucking make the rest up. You know, and that's the kind of thing Neil Gaiman was talking about. He was talking about, I research like a magpie, I go for the shiny bits, and then after that, I realized like, hey, I got enough to sort of roll with this and turn it into my own mythology. And then Neil Gaiman had this amazing line, and he said, the funny thing is, human beings are, are designed to find patterns. We are pattern finders. And once you have a theory out there that's based on a few facts, what you will find is that the world will start to march in line to your facts. And that all of a sudden it'll make the things that you're writing feel more legitimate because the facts are just going to make their way to you. And he's like, I would write stuff and make it up. And then I do research and I'm like, my God, that sort of fits with what I'm doing. It's fascinating like that. And he's like, again, we as people are pattern finders and 
the facts do line up after a while. And then Neil Gaiman went on a big thing. You know, my counter to the Joe Rogan thing is that we're pattern finders. And and look, I know you're just saying you enjoy listening to it as opposed to you worship at the heels of it and therefore it is 100% accurate 100% of the time, right? You're saying it's an interesting listen. And mm-hmm. so this does kind of dovetail with what Neil Gaiman is saying because he's like, in a weird way, what Neil Gaiman said is I can empathize with conspiracy theorists because once you start to look at something, facts just make their way to you and they line up nicely. And then you're kind of like, well, wait a minute. There's a there's a weird connection here and I don't know if I can ignore it. Um, so anyway, it's just it's fascinating to hear about. It's fascinating from a story perspective because, again, all you really have to do is write a few things. And then, like he said, as long as you know your research, the facts are just going to start to line up and it gets kind of weird. You know what I mean? So anyway, fun stuff. And hey, a little bonus story time for people that uh, or a little bonus making comics time for people that were listening this far. Yeah. But one yeah, more thing. We didn't uh, scare you guys too off too much with that stuff. I don't, but, uh, I don't think. It I don't is what think. it is. It, dude, if you made it 71 minutes in, why are you not going to make it 84 minutes in? You know what I mean? But but uh, I wanted to mention this, dude. I don't think I've ever gotten a chance to talk about it. So when you talked about, is this the first appearance of Killer Croc? Um that so, is not. So no. Not so here's of. the thing. According to a differing source, it is. So oh, there are there there are split opinions on what the first appearance of I believe that was the one that you looked up, right? You had a Batman issue. I did. I um, just off the top of my head, I think it's three fifty eight. Yeah, yeah. So there are differing opinions on whether Batman three fifty eight or Detective five twenty three is the first appearance of Killer Croc. So I went out there. Yeah, I went out there and grabbed a copy of Detective five twenty three because. I I have no life. So I ended up getting that. That's actually like two or three weeks old. I've had that for a little while, but um, Boom, I was right. Yeah. 358. Yeah. Yeah. But the weird thing is when I, okay. Yeah. The detective 358 or Batman 358. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I did first appearance of killer croc, I got detective 523 and 524. So I was just like, fuck, I don't know. I'll buy detective 523 since Scott's buying up all the Batman 358. <laughs> right on, man. But anyway, so yeah, yeah. But uh, that's the one comic I've got because so much of my money has gone into not only the Scotland trip, but like I'm spending more money on golf and, uh, and you know, something's got to give. And the thing that's got to give is me just grabbing collectible comics. I'm still getting my, my weekly polls, but, uh, I, yeah, I got to make a compromise somewhere. And that compromise is I'm not hunting as hard for vintage issues. Right on, man. Um, so, oh, something I let you know the other day is I picked up some books at Phoenix fan fusion, as you know, cause you were there. Yeah. Uh, one, so not only did I get those Simonson Thor run uh, issues, but I grabbed two random other issues. One was a anthropomorphic dinosaur comic. I believe it was from the 80s. I no clue what it was, never heard of it. But hey, anthropomorphic dinosaurs, so I'm going to pick that up for a buck. And another book was Namor, um, the adventure. Oh, let me see the exact title. It is a submariner book, a submariner number one. It is the Saga of the Submariner, issue one of 12. So it's a maxi series. I got it for a dollar. I had a hunch. So um, I had a spoiler. If you guys have not seen the trailer to Black Panther 2, spoiler, 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 Namor is in the trailer to Black Panther 2. Mm -hmm. So um, 
Tough Obviously, shit. I'm not even putting. I'm not even putting a marker in there. We're 83 minutes in, or some shit like. That. Yeah, <laughs> we're waiting. The spoiler, spoiler, spoiler was enough. Um, well, the so, fact that like the fact that you, Scott Lost, make a point to never see trailers, and you're now referencing a trailer tells me that like fuck it, man, just watch the trailer already. Well, you know? I, I, honestly, the reason why I watched the trailer was because one of my studio mates, shout out Death, you know what you did, you bastard. Um, he apologized as soon as he said it because he knows how I am about it. Um, he had mentioned, hey, so what do you guys think of Namor's look in the Black Panther 2 trailer? And then he's like, oh, shit, I'm sorry, Scott. So, <laughs> I was, you know, and I was just, I was kind of deflated at the moment anyway. So I was just like, you know what, man? It fucking is what it is. I think I was, you're like, I think it was you're like, you know what? I'm watching all the fucking trailers now. I, I, I was exhausted. You know what it was? It was Comic-Con week. Sure. And so I was working fucking 12 hours a day. So I'm like yeah. exhausted. So it's like, I'm so tired. I don't even have the energy to be mad at you. Yeah. Um, You're like, fuck it. I'm going to eat a whole bag of Cheetos and I'm going to watch every trailer to every comic movie right now. And just be done right. with it. <laughs> even the old ones. Um, and so anyway, Namor's in the trailer. And so I had just randomly picked up this, this Submariner issue one on a whim for it. It was only a dollar. And I was like, Hey, Marvel's just been making these, these other characters. I mean, like, Namor has some love out there. I'm not going to lie about that. But he's... Would you consider him a D-list character? Yes. Yeah, C? C? So it's it's tough, right? I would consider him C-list. Okay, But the thing fair. is that, like, he's one of the first two superheroes that Marvel ever introduced, if I know my history right. You know, right, like, that's about Namor, right, yeah. Namor mm-hmm. versus the Human Torch was basically the first superhero fight in Marvel history. You right. Know? So, anyway. So, yeah, yeah, that, that so bumps him up to C. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's like... He's been around forever. He's got a legacy to him. I'll grab the first issue for a dollar. And it's not like it's his very first comic book or anything. Like you said, Marvel's first comic is, is Human Torture Submariner. So, yeah, yeah. It wasn't um, some shit from 1937. I'll tell you that. Whatever right, yeah. Know. It was yeah. 1988 when this issue yeah. came out. So I was like, it's a dollar. I'll take it. And uh, you know what? Uh, the trailer dropped. And I'm like, I bought this on a whim. I don't no no offense but i don't give a shit about namor he's not like my guy or anything mm-hmm. so i was just like i can let this go so i looked it up it wasn't worth that much it was just like 8.99 i was like i paid a dollar so i put it up for 8.99 buy it now for 16 someone bought it for 16 and uh i was like oh what the hell oh, okay cool that paid for basically the entire thor run that i bought yeah and uh the random uh anthropomorphic dinosaur comic plus plus like six bucks so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like hey good times uh so it was a, a nice little flipping adventure i'm not a huge flipper or anything like that that's actually the first comic book i've ever sold that wasn't my own um <laughs> so but it was kind of nice it was nice and rewarding because i've had all of these toys in this this room that i've been selling off and like after years of having these toys a lot of the times it's like I'm making $5 off of them, but I've had them for 25 years. It's just like, well, that wasn't a great investment because I only made five bucks off of this <laughs> and I had to store it, store it for 25 fucking years. Yeah. This comic I've had for, you know, two months, months. and uh, it takes up no space whatsoever. And I made 15 bucks off of it. It's like, hey, totally. that's a good deal. It's all a balance. No, it's funny you say that because I am in the mood. You know, I, I had some of my dad's stuff. Um, that mom gave to me and I just sold it over the last day or two. It was basically like a spare set of clubs and some golf balls. And like that just seems to have set me on like a sell mood. 
So I'm probably going to go through my comic books and just see like, what, what doesn't matter to me? What's a double? What's an extra? Something like that. Like, what won't I regret getting rid of? I mean, I'm keeping everything that ever mattered to me. But, you know, you buy these extra things like Thor number one. I got two copies of that with, um, what's her name? Jane Foster as Thor. I'm going to put one of those up and just whatever happens, happens. You know, that kind of thing, right? So it's funny you say that because that's about, that's what I'm about to do as it gets to uh, some of my comics and, you know, some records again, I'm just, I'm just going to do an audit. It's the old Marie yeah. Kondo, man. Does it bring me joy? If it doesn't fucking get rid of it, sell it. Yeah. Or Trim the fat a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right, man. I think, I think we've reached the end of who are we kidding? An amazing episode. <laughs> so with that, I liked it. I'm not mad yeah, at it. With that, with that, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is me posting quotes like the amazing Neil Gaiman quote that I just heard the other day. Pictures. Yeah, some travel pictures even. Some shit from Kadojan 3 Protectors because that's how I do. And of course, then if you just, if you're like, no, Keith, I don't like you. But what I like is giant monsters. Well, then you can follow at Kadoja Kaiju and then you can hate me all you want. And you can still like giant monsters and never the twain shall meet. That's the best part of it. Or you can go to at Scott Lost and see pictures of my food, me potentially, and of course my art. That is S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram or Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, and in terms of websites, uh, KeithRFoster.com is my one-stop shop. I, whenever I do a blog post, I update it. The last couple months have been wonky, but uh, I do plan on getting back into writing some articles, doing some blog posts, and of course, updating the site as necessary with all of my new comics. Of course, there's a web store there as well. And if you like Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft, then Kadoja is a comic you should check out. And if you like Interplanetary Kung Fu, then check out Three Protectors. Both of those things are available at the KeithRFoster.com store. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com to get my books, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Melisande, where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. Keith, does that ever work? It never works! It never works. Two dominant species on one planet? Absolutely not. So, AccidentalAliens.com. Get those books. I am going to say a little bit of something. And what I want to talk about, I actually forgot because I've drank a 12% beer. <laughs> Dude, drinking, drinking really kind of rules. But, um, but no, let me, let me, let me just, let me just ad lib on the fly here. Okay. I want to talk about, let's talk about philosophy. Okay. Let's talk about, I believe it's Plato or Dick Van Patten to quote Wayne's world. Um, it, the allegory of the cave. Are you familiar with the allegory of the cave? I'm not. Okay, so the way the allegory of the cave works, it, it's it's a it's a parable of truth, right? And so the way the philosopher says it is, we as humanity, we are people that are inside a cave and we our head is chained so that all we can see is like the shadows of a flame that's behind us dancing on the wall, okay? So we see this and we think that that's the truth, right? Like that is a, it's a parable for truth, right? So these shadows dancing on the wall are truth. But some brave souls can figure out a way to kind of undo those bounds, those binds, and turn behind them and realize that it's not shadows dancing on the wall, which is the truth, but rather this flame behind them that's the ultimate truth. 
And then like, wow, their mind is blown. Like these shadows were just reflections of the real truth, which is this flame behind me. But then as their eyes start to adjust to the flame, what they see is a passageway leading out of the cave. And it's dim, but at some point it gets brighter. So they walk down that, right, in the search for truth. And as they do, they walk up the ramp and then they come out to the daylight. And what they realize is that the shadows dancing on the wall aren't the truth. In fact, the flame behind them isn't the truth either. But what is the truth is that you need to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's the fucking truth. Plato wrote that shit (laughs) 2,000 fucking years ago, okay? And all he wanted, all Plato wanted, was for you to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, okay? Or Spotify. Plato, Plato didn't care. He was a fucking philosopher. He was fine with five stars in any format. So by all means, live the philosopher's life. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or give us five stars on Spotify Podcasts. Either is acceptable. If you guys don't give us five stars after that story, you guys are you guys are assholes. Um, <laughs> if you enjoyed that story, end of our stories, if you want to tell us that we're idiots for believing in aliens, contact us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what your theory on podcasts are. And don't even get me started on pyramids. <laughs> Dude, you know, mo- some people may not have made it all this way. They may have just been like, fuck those guys, man. Man, what a ride it was. What a ride it was. So they lasted 90 plus episodes and you get to keep on rolling. <laughs> so anyway, um, man, I've, I've no doubt queued up the music by now, right? I think we've done it. Hold it. We have an email. Okay. All right. So we got an email in. It's from Chance uh, Eagerly. Hey, guys, my name is Chance. I wanted Edgerly. to reach out. And- Edgerly. Edgerly. Right? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. I wanted to reach out and tell you how wonderful the podcast is and how inspired it's made me. My whole life, I wanted to be a writer, and after three plus years of working on a comic, I finally finished my script at for an eight-issue arc. I have attached an editor to the project, and he's digging into the script for the first issue currently. Once we have it where we like it, we will attach an art team and then plan to crowdfund to help to get the comic published. In anticipation of all of this, I wanted to grow my mailing list, which currently consists of no one. I plan to start. I love it. That's that's a great sense. Hey, currently uh, consists of no one. You got to start somewhere. That's a we good go. writing chops. Good writing yeah. chops right there. Uh, I plan to start a blog as well as which, uh, excuse me, as well, which I hope will grow the list, but wanted to do something more visible. I have a script for a 28 issue one shot comic that I wrote for a script writing contest that I missed the deadline for palm slap um, that I thought I could get drawn fairly cheap and put out in, as a free web comic. My question is, how to use the comic to get more people on the mailing list. I thought about advertising a few panels of the comic on social media, and if you sign up for the list, you can read it, or possibly allowing the first half of the book to be open to the public and the second half available after signing up. Which route would you guys suggest? Again, I'm a huge fan and appreciate the help and any sage advice you might have on the topic. Thanks again. Go Sixers. Chance. Woo! What are you, what are you doing? Okay, so uh, thanks for the email, Chance. We really appreciate that. So my my answer uh, to Chance was I would have them sign up in order to get the free issue, personally. Um, you know, put some images out there. Say, hey, if you're interested in reading this comic, then, you know, sign up for the mailing list and we'll send it to you for free, like right away. Um, to me, that sounds really good, but I'm not opposed to both options. I think both both options are very fair. 
And uh, if you want to give them a little taste, maybe do a couple of pages or something like that. Like maybe that's a good medium, uh, you know, good middle ground. You know, put the first three pages out there and, you know, hopefully those are very intriguing. And then you can pull them in in which they want to read the rest of the book. And then they sign up for the mailing list and bip, boom, pow, you know, you got the, you got them on your mailing list. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I as I'm listening to you, I think all of that makes perfect sense. And, and I think that's the way that chance should go. However, I almost want to say the way I should go or the way that I do go would go in this case, which is I would just make the comic and put it out there and basically do the if you build it, they will come. Make the comic, put it out there and hope that people sign up for your mailing list. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of how I would do it. But that's how that's that's more of a like psychological profile of me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's all like, personal preference. It is. It's all personal preference. I think anything could work. And I think Scott's answer is the best answer. But I wanted to throw in that, like, for me, I just I just put the comic out there. We're here to make comics and put them out there and, you know, put it out there, see what happens. And again, I'm just giving you another option, you know? Yeah. And uh, once you do get your, your fir first book done after you crowdfund it and everything um, and you start doing conventions, make sure, and this is something that I just started doing, that my studio just started doing with as of San Diego Comic-Con. I have attempt, I've done half-ass attempts of this uh, at previous conventions. I would do it for maybe one hour and then never again. But start trying to build your mailing list at the table. When you make the sale... Go, hey, you know, like, mm -hmm. and this is exactly what we were telling people at San Diego Comic-Con, which is the truth. Hey, would you guys like to sign up for a mailing list? We will only contact you when we're going to a new show, another show, to let you know where we're going to be, or when we have a new book out. So those are the two two times we would use it. We promise not to spam you. That's basically it. And then uh, more often than not, they did sign up. You know, like when we remember to do it, we were remembering like it became part of our pitch. Like, you know, so if you're if you've ever done a convention, you're selling your books, someone comes by your table, you pitch them your book, they either buy it or they don't buy it. So if they do buy it and they're in the process of paying, you know, like what we're doing is like Travis would be handling the payment and then, or, you know, or vice versa. And then the other person would go, hey, you know, while we have you here, one last thing we want to bug you with blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. We hit them with the mailing list question. And then boom, you know, like before I knew it, uh, we had three pages worth of people for our mailing list. So mm -hmm. we already have a nice, nice start to that. Um, I wouldn't say complete start because when I do Kickstarters, it is one of the questions that I ask, can I add you to my mailing list? And you know, uh, yeah, you guys are cooler too. No, the government's watching. So, yeah. you know, you could build your mailing list when you do your crowdfunding as well. So you have a couple of options there. So uh, make sure you're doing that on your crowdfunding, whether you're using Kickstarter, Indiegogo or whatever. So uh, do those things. Yeah, man. See, that's that's the beauty of this episode. For those people that are listening right now, it's like, wow, that was actually that was actually kind of informative. <laughs> that was like that's like that's like you... twenty minutes. That's twenty minutes after I wrote off you guys as a bunch of fucking morons. <laughs> exactly. When you root through the alien talk and and drunkenness, there's actually some useful information under there somewhere. Don't don't you dare ignore my allegory of the cave, man. <laughs> Also you know, the cave. Like, yeah, we've been we've been stupid for a while, but we still drop the science. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, all right, brother, uh, man, that was an episode. So let's do it again next week. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Yep. Here we go.